This morning, I want to bring a word from the book of Exodus. Uh, and the title of my message is Living Daily in the Presence of God. We all, you know, the scripture tells us that uh, we all have uh, God with us at all times. For those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we have uh, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, residing in each one of us. And God is all, or, always and already promised in His Word that He will be with us until the end of this age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And also, these are promises that we treasure and value uh, every day. And uh, we declare that. But there are times in our lives uh, we don't sense the reality of God's presence. We say, yes, uh, God will never leave us or not forsake us. But living daily in the presence of God is something you and I need to treasure every single moment of our lives. We want to sense God's presence in our life every day. And shall we all stand for the reading of God's Word? Uh, Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 to 15. Let's read it together. One, two. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Amen. Thank you for reading. Let's, let's, let's pray. Father, we give thanks to you, Lord, for this morning, even as we look into your word, we ask for the King of glory to reveal himself to us. God, we pray that the Holy Spirit will open up our minds and our hearts, O oh God, that even as I preach your word, O oh God, Lord, we ask for your anointing to be upon the speaker and upon the hearers, O oh God. Lord, we just pray that you will anoint us, O oh God, with that double portion of your anointing. Bless us this, this morning, O oh God, as we pray and give thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We're talking about the, the presence of God. And we want that daily sense of God's presence in our life. And this is this particular passage that, uh, that Moses uh, speaks to God. Moses, from this scripture, from this passage, did not ask for signs and wonders and miracles. He asked God to show him his way, God's way. And God answered by saying that his presence shall go with Moses. And Moses, in fact, in this particular passage, was convinced without God's presence in his life, it was useless for Moses, for him, to attempt anything for God. He, Moses was leading these people from uh, Egypt and into the promised land, and they are now in the wilderness. And today, 
You and I. You know, sometimes we go through wilderness, we go through difficult moments, confusing situations in our life. No, but no matter how confused and confusing a situation is, the presence of God will bring order into that situation. As Christians, we should carry His presence with us wherever we go. And another Old Testament individual or character that we see is in Abraham. God's presence was so evident in Abraham's life that even the heathen around him knew that God was with Abraham. They could recognize the difference between their lives and Abraham's life. In Genesis chapter 21 verse 22, it says, And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. So basically what the heathen king is saying is that there is something different about you. Abraham, God is with you wherever you go. And today this is what you and I, you know, we want to uh, not only know the scriptures that God promises that He will never leave us nor forsake us, but we want to sense God's presence in our lives every single minute, every single moment. No matter how difficult the situation could be, no matter how confusing or how uh, chaotic everything may be around us, but we know because God is with us, the presence of God is not only in word, but a present experience and a present reality in our lives. And for Abraham, people around him could see the difference. The first time I entered a church, not the first time I entered a church, I've, uh, I've been attending church for uh, 25 years you know, uh, I was a nominal Christian, but never experienced the presence of God. Never experienced the, the power that God could change lives. I was a very nominal Christian, moving from denomination to denomination, moving from church to church without experiencing God in my life. And at the age of 25, I was empty in my heart. I said, God... I want to experience reality of Jesus Christ in my life. I hear people talking about it. A friend of mine, a, a very good friend of mine, uh, at the age of 17, he was in Form 5 with me. He accepted the Lord and while waiting for our MCE or SPM results at that time, it was known as MCE. And he came and shared what Jesus Christ has done for him. He was a, I'm not sure, a Buddhist or Taoist. And he says, how Jesus Christ had, uh, transformed his life when he, when he asked Jesus Christ to come into his life. And I, yeah, I'm thinking, at 25 years I've been going to church and denomination to denomination, but never experienced God. So I was crying out to God, God, if there is a God, reveal yourself to me. And one day, I entered a church somewhere in, uh, in Paramount Garden, a shop lot. And the moment I opened the doors of that church, I knew there was something different, something different in this particular church. I could sense people lost in worship. They were kneeling, they were 
crying. Yeah, you know, there were tears in their eyes. Some were clapping. And I said, God, this is real. This is different from all the churches that have been. And I want that same experience. And want that. So I began to go to that church every Sunday. And I accepted the Lord a few weeks later. Came to know Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And there began my journey with Christ. And that was something that I've never forgotten until this day. That the moment you open and you can sense the presence of God in their midst. And today, you know, we have worshipped God. Did you sense the presence of God as you entered into this main sanctuary, the auditorium? Did you sense God's presence? Sensing God's presence is not how the worship team leads. It's about our heart. If our heart is right, the moment we enter the main sanctuary of worship, we can sense the presence of God in our midst. Amen? So I hope you and I can sense God's presence every time, you know, when we come here because we have already prepared our hearts at home. So when we come here, it's just letting go, releasing yourself and immersing yourself in worshipping God. The only thing that sets us apart from unbelievers is God's presence with us. So how can we have the constant, constant presence of God in our lives? Living constantly in the presence of God begins with a moment-by-moment moment conversation with Him. As we live in constant conversation with God, we will be constantly praising adoring and honouring and loving Him with all our hearts for who He is and what He has done in our lives. So this allows us to live continually in the presence of God. Whenever I'm travelling alone, not only now, but many years ago, especially when you are travelling in a bus, you know, uh, but in the 80s, we didn't have a car, my wife and I, and every time we'll travel uh, in the bus, express bus from KL to uh, Tampin, Tampin, eh? uh, the borders of Malacca and Negri Sambilan. And I would worship in the, in the bus quietly. I would just worship God. And there I can sense the presence of God. You know, I can really sense His presence so real. So real. Because the Word of God promises in, in Psalm 22, verse 3, He will come and inhabit the praises of Israel, the praises of His people. And so every time, I, I enjoyed travelling back home in a bus. Because nowadays, it's a bit difficult when you are driving and you want to focus on, on, uh, on the road. And you are, uh, at times, you find it restricted to just release yourself in worship. So the best time to worship God and to praise Him could be in your private uh, closet in your room. The closer you move to the Lord, the more of His presence you will have. The closer you move to the Lord, the more of His presence you will have. The further you move away from Him, the closer you are to the, to the devil. 
We don't like to say that. When you move closer to God, you can sense His presence every single minute. But you move, you drift away from Him. You move away from Him. And you are giving, and every time you move away from God, you are moving closer to the enemy. It's a wonderful thing to be in the presence of the Lord. And it's a dangerous thing to be far from Him. So you and I must make every effort to draw closer to God and not to drift away, not to stop spending time with God. And today, the presence of God, as you know, is a very wide subject. But I only want to touch on one area in our life that hinders the presence of God. What hinders the presence of God in our lives? What hinders the presence of God in our life? First of all, this is the biggest thing. This is the biggest obstacle that hinders the presence of God in our lives. And this is the incident, the story of the creation in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And it says here, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, God will come down at that time uh, during uh, the creation story. Adam and Eve was having a good time with God, having fellowship with God. And this was not the first day after creation, I believe, because it says here, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So I believe it has been happening for many, uh, for a long period. And be before uh, what uh, we know as the disobedience in the Garden of Eden, the Lord God used, the, used to go in the garden in the evening to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. But when they sinned against Him, that fellowship, that communion was broken. But the relationship was still there. Remember this, huh? When you and I sin against God, we are still children of God. The relationship is still there. But the fellowship and communion is affected. Just like any one of us, you know, we parents and children, uh, sometimes when we quarrel, we don't disown our children. Our, they are still our children. The relationship is still there. But there's a kind of hindrance in that fellowship and, and communion. We don't, you know, we don't talk uh, for a few hours until it has been healed, that relationship, uh, that hurt has been healed. So that likewise, this is what happened in the Garden of Eden. When they sinned against God, they could no longer behold His face. They had to hide from God's presence. And you and I, we know that God is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, and He's able to see what was happening. And God actually wanted Adam and Eve to confess what they have done. But this, they tried to hide from God. When their sin was found out, they refused to accept the blame for their sin. And Genesis chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, we see what we call the blame game. Adam blamed Eve 
and not only Eve, the woman that you gave me, ah, blame on God also. Uh, we all <laughs> cut from the same cloth. You know? We will blame God. Oh, I'm, you know, when we, when we don't have a job, we will be praying, God, give me a job, give me a job. And when God gives us a job, and then we start complaining, God, why did you give me this job? You know, that my boss is uh, harassing me, my boss is treating me badly. Yes or no? Yes. Yes or no? Yes, we all do that, you know. Uh, we pray for a house and then God gives us a nice house and then we complain the house, the rooms are small. <laughs> uh, we pray for a car, God gives us a car and then uh, we have children and then the car, you know, suddenly it becomes smaller. Same, Eve was the same. She blamed the serpent. And Bible tells us, Adam was not deceived, but Eve was deceived first. In 1 Timothy 2.14, eh? it confirms that Eve was deceived. She did not take responsibility for eating the fruit from that tree. You and I, we do the same. Blame shifting. Eh? We act as though God doesn't know what we are doing. We need to come before God and be open before Him. And tell him all that we have done. And God is just waiting to hear us confessing our sin. To tell him all that, you know, the, the wrong things in our life. God wants that. And he's pleased with that openness. When you do wrong, it's you who should be blamed. Not your pastor, not your cell leader, not your spouse, not anyone. In fact, most times, not even the devil should be blamed. The devil sometimes gets blamed for everything, for things that he has not even done. <laughs> and we give him glory. You know, we blame him and say, oh, it's the devil who did it. But actually, he was not in the picture at all. <laughs> And he gets blamed for everything. So at times when we blame him, we are giving him the glory when he rightfully doesn't deserve. But of course, there are times that he can be blamed, you know. When you have done wrong, confess, repent, cry out to God. And this is what David, that is why the Bible tells us David was truly a man after God's heart. And Psalm 51 describes that very clearly about David. After he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, he then plans a murder, to murder the husband of Bathsheba, Uriah. And he gets him killed. But what happens is that he's very open before God. And in Psalm 51, he writes all about the things that he has gone through. And he confesses before God. And then he says, God, I repent of my sin. Forgive me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Restore unto me the joy. He had lost it because he had sinned against God. He has lost it. He has lost that presence, God's presence in his life. And now he repents of it. And he says, forgive me, Lord. 
forgive me, I confess. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And none of us today seated here need to pray that prayer. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me because the Holy Spirit lives in us. When we sin against God, we grieve and quench the Holy Spirit. And we need to be open before God and confess and repent from our sins. And we know that no sin is too great to be forgiven. Do you feel that you could never come close to God because you have done something terrible? God can and will forgive you if you come before Him in, hum, in humility, confessing your sin. The second point I want to bring out is self-deception. There's a scripture in, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. Watch, Jesus wonders, watch out that no one deceives you. And in this particular passage, if you read very carefully, it's not talking about, uh, it's talking about deception from false Christ and false messiahs in the last days just before the coming of the Lord. But today, I want to address this self-deception. Who deceives you the most? Ah, very good. Ah, yeah, very good. It's not the person whom you dislike the most who deceives you the most. You see? It's ourselves. That is why the point says, the second point says, the most common form of deception is self-deception. We deceive ourselves and end up in a part of false belief. We, we, we begin to elevate ourselves rather than check ourselves, examine ourselves, and to see if there's things in our life that are not right. And yeah, deception is often wrapped up in truth. It seems to be something that you believe, you know, is truth, but actually it's a lie wrapped in truth. And pride will keep us from admitting the true condition of our heart. Pride will keep us from dealing with the truth. We will not want to uproot the truth, so we keep it within ourselves. We will never change if we think anything, that everything or anything in our lives is fine. So everything in our life is fine with us. We think so. But self-deception means everyone around us knows that we are standing on the edge. And anytime we can fall or plunge to our death, like we are standing just above the ravine. But we do not realize that we may fall at any time. And because of what? Because we will not listen to the counsel of people around us. In, the, in 1983-84, when I got saved at that time, there's one person that I came into close contact with. And he was a Bible teacher, a very powerful 
Bible teacher, a worship leader, a man who speaks very, very eloquently. And I had great respect for this man. But one day I found out that this man had two women in his life. Not married. He was not married at that time, but he had two girlfriends. And he couldn't decide which one to choose. But many of his friends around him knew which girl to choose. <laughs> we were very good counselors. Even though I was a very young Christian, I knew what he was doing was wrong. One day he will be with one lady, another day with another. And it was a sad thing. And he did not just go, in for, uh, go on for a few months, but it went on for years. For years, we advised him he would come and see me. We became very close. And he will come and pour his heart. He will cry. He said, George... I hope you understand. But every time I try to tell him, but because he is a, a Bible teacher, and, and he thinks he's not deceived. But the Bible tells us, be not deceived. God is not mocked. God can see what you are doing is not right. And one day, uh, after a few years, he decided to choose one of them. The one that was different from what we had already chosen for him. <laughs> but sadly, he chose the other one. And because the second one had come into his life, after the first one had been very close to him for some years. So we knew that the first one might be the, would be the right choice. And everyone, even the pastor advised him, friends advised him, but he did not listen. Then he got married to this, uh, this lady. And today, this man doesn't even go to church. A man whom I respected so much. A great Bible teacher. In fact, one of the best Bible teachers I've ever known. And when he teaches, you can sense the anointing of God upon his life. But today, he hardly goes to church and stays at home. And he believes that that is enough. That is sufficient. There's another incident that I want to share with you all. About three or four years ago, when I was pastoring a church in Sitiawan, one of my board members, very nice man, wonderful man, just like the other person that I mentioned, wonderful people. But he got himself involved in with an along. You all know what is along, huh? I hope none of you are involved, huh? Uh, whether doing along business or... <laughs> because it's a dangerous business. And he came up to me, Pastor George, I, I borrowed money. Then I begin to ask him, one of my board members, and he began to ask him, you know, who, uh, from whom did you borrow? And then he began to open up and share with me. And then every morning, when I'm in the office, he would come for morning prayer. 
morning prayer, he comes. And he prays every day. A good man, a man of God who is always in prayer. And I begin to advise him. You need to give this up. You know, you need to tell your wife. The, the worst thing is he didn't tell his wife. And I believe he, he knew that if he had told his wife, she would have stopped him there and then. And I wish he had done that because he would have uh, saved him a lot of misery. But every morning he would come uh, to church and pray in that prayer room and pray in tongues for one hour. And then I will advise him. Then he said, Pastor, Pastor George, you must have compassion. You know, my son, uh, my nephew is in need of money. He's uh, involved. He's uh, planning to start a business. So he wants money. So I borrowed 30,000 30, for him. And uh, my nephew told me that uh, within two, three months, I will get back the money with some interest. You know, so he prob probably, uh, this man was thinking that he could make some money. But it went on. From 30,000, he began to borrow from many individuals, not only in their own, with their own church members. Some of them, I heard, lent him 70,000, 80,000. And the debt increased until 1 million. And I, all this while, I was telling him, you know, you need to tell your wife. It went on for about a year and a half. He still did not listen, but I could have told his wife because... His wife was also one of the pastors of, my, of, my, of our church. And finally, uh, I had to tell him to step down from leadership. And also, I told him, if you don't tell your wife, I am going to tell her. And finally, he had to uh, break the news to her and all hell broke loose. And this is a good thing. Because... God gives us spouses so that we can confide in them and share with them. And they are like, you know, the, the women are like... Say <laughs> 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 it, huh? Women are like uh, alarm, siren, you know. No, it's a good thing. I'm married, I know. I've been married. I've been married for 34 years, and I know what I'm speaking because they are like uh, watchdog. <laughs> they watch over us. Because they will stop us from doing something wrong. And that is why God has put them in our lives. And we men sometimes we, become, we think that we are very smart. We don't listen to them. And we do things sometimes behind their backs. And then when we are found out, then we, we say we are sorry. But before we can be found out, it's better to tell them, you know, what are your plans. So this man finally, uh, this board member, uh, told his wife and she was in tears. She shared with us, you know, she cried and cried and cried. We prayed for her. And today, I think it's more than two years he is not in the church. He is hiding somewhere in Malaysia. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And he was such a wonderful man. He's still a wonderful man, you know, no matter what, what he has done. But he had paid the price. He had to sell his house, his, his, uh, bought his house, his land. He had to sell. 
to pay back the along and still hasn't paid back and still running away from them. So be careful. Don't get yourself involved in along. If you want to borrow money, go to the bank. When a loved one's friends and leader correct us, speaking the truth in love about our wrong behavior, we see ourselves as victims and instead blame those who have hurt us or said something direct to us. Here I'm saying this because we need to speak to one another and speak the truth in love. Not to condemn people, but to speak in love. Uh, speak the truth in love. At times, our conduct and behavior becomes so toxic. You know, we, because we are in self-deception, our behavior becomes so toxic, when somebody corrects us, we, we challenge them. We raise our voices, you know, to intimidate the, the one who is trying to help us through, to uh, the one who is trying to make us see that we are in self-deception. But instead of listening to, to us, that person begins to rise up in anger and begins to threaten us. And so, who suffers at the end? Yes, the individual. That is why you and I need to surround ourselves with people who can speak into our life. We need to be transparent. We need to be accountable to one another. Later, we will see how you know, we can be accountable to one another. Bible tells us, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is surely safety. Where there is no counsel, where you, if we don't want to listen to counsel, you and I, will fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is always security, there is safety. We can be assured that, you know, the one who speaks into our life will be able to tell us, but you and I need to listen. Yeah? Need to listen. Thirdly, the third point is that hinders the presence of God in our life is fear and anxiety. Genesis 15 Verse 1, God tells Abraham, Fear not, Abraham, for I am your shield, an exceedingly great reward. God wants to bless Abraham, but he's telling Abraham, Fear not, Abraham. And fear often results in... And also, fear can lead to depression or heaviness of heart. Yeah, he says... In Proverbs 12, verse 25, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Fear and anxiety, you can always see it goes together. Anxiety, when you are anxious, you give in to fear. So how do we battle fear, anxiety, and even discouragement? How do we battle, how do we overcome fear, anxiety, and discouragement? It has been said that the most repeated phrase in Scripture is, do not be afraid. 
and some variation of it is mentioned over 350 times in the Bible. God said to Gideon, fear not when calling Gideon to lead Israel. In, that is in Judges 6 verse 23. Then God said to Jeremiah, be not afraid of their faces when calling him to be a prophet to the nations. In Jeremiah 1 verse 8, it says that. And yes, Jesus said to the two women when he rose from the dead, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, do not be afraid. And then Jesus told his disciples, do not worry what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. And then Philippians 4 verse 6 says, be not anxious for anything. It was never God's will for mankind to be fearful. Uh, last night, my granddaughter, she comes uh, to our home. Uh, not every weekend, but uh, most weekends she's, she stays with us on a Saturday, on a Friday night or sometimes Saturday. And yesterday she was with us because my, both my son and daughter-in-law had something in, to do in Malacca. So while she was staying with me, whenever she comes to my house, the grandfather will be relegated to the next room. He will be sent to the next room, the smaller room. Because my master bedroom is not that big, so it can only accommodate uh, two people in that, on that bed. So my wife uh, sleeps with my granddaughter in that room. So I was playing with her. I told her, see, now you, when you are here, you, I have to sleep in the other room. So I'm going to be alone. I'm, I'm going to be alone. Then she told me, Grandpa, do not be afraid. Be brave. <laughs> I was just playing with her, but she could tell me that, be brave, do not be afraid. And today she's here, somewhere at the back. Of course, I was not serious with her, but I was joking with her. But fear, real fear, will cripple us spiritually. After calling down fire from heaven and having the priest of Baal, the prophets of Baal put to death, Elijah runs out of fear as Jezebel threatened to kill him. The disciples after Jesus Christ was taken to be crucified fled in fear. They ran in fear. God knows that we will lose His peace and presence and this is the very reason there are so many warnings in Scripture telling us, do not be afraid, be not anxious, do not worry. All this are coupled together. Some Christians are not progressing spiritually and therefore may not sense the presence of God at all because they are afraid of what people think of them. Have you seen some individuals, even in our own cell groups, you know, they become very uh, morbid in fear, very fearful, and, and allowing that fear to take control of their lives. For, they begin to imagine that people are angry with them, that people are thinking very lowly of them, 
and they become very obsessed with that kind of fear. When actually, no such thing is really happening. So it's an imagination, over-imagination. So because of all this, we can see why our enemy works so hard to bring fear. The enemy works so hard to bring fear in believers' lives. It can severely handicap them from doing God's will. Just give in to your fear. Anything that takes us from an attitude of worship, peace, joy, and a consciousness of God's presence has a satanic source. Anything that takes us from an attitude of peace, joy, consciousness of God's presence has a satanic source. So that means when you are praying, reading, suddenly you begin to imagine something. The enemy puts some thoughts, negative thoughts, that something has happened to your son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter and you become overly fearful. And then for a moment, you lose that consciousness of God's presence. I am sure many of us have experienced that. So we need to take captive every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Reject fear and accept God's love. Perfect love casts out all fear. I think we can all say an amen to that. Perfect love casts out all fear. The perfect love of Jesus Christ for each one of us. God's love for each one of us is perfect, is everlasting. It hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our love for Him may change, but His love for us is always perfect. How to encounter more of the presence of God? How to encounter more of the presence of God? We have always emphasized this. And I continue to emphasize this. Make personal altar your top priority. No matter what happens in our life, ensure that personal altar is a top priority. And you and I must plan to have a quiet time with the Lord daily and regularly. And it's a time to set aside to worship God, pray meaningfully, study, memorize, and meditate on the Word of God. It must be intentional. You must make time. Some people make it in the early hours of the morning. Some make it in the afternoon. Some make it at night, late in the, hour, uh, late in the wee hours of morning when everyone is asleep. So depending on your convenience, but make it intentional. Okay. Some housewives, they have their quiet time in the afternoon. It's okay. Uh, but it's always good to begin the day spending time with God so that you can ask God to give you strength for the day, to face the challenges for the day. The Bible says Daniel prayed three times a day. David said, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and the Lord shall hear my voice. And that is why, because Daniel, uh, sorry, because David walked so closely with God 
that the very sin that he had committed, he could sense that God's presence has left him. Mark 1.35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus didn't, did not have a permanent place like, like all of us. You know, we have our per permanent homes, dwelling place, where we can go back to the same room or the same place where we can have our personal altar. But here it says, Jesus went to a solitary place where he prayed. He left the house, left the house and went to a place, a different place. Because we all know foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. So Jesus, whenever he goes to different places, when he went to Bethany, he stayed with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, his closest friends. So there, I'm sure he would have had his quiet time there. Even though Jesus had demonstrated power over demons, over unclean spirits, he found time to still pray to his Father in heaven. And if Jesus needed to find time, needed to spend time in, with the Father, you and I, all the more we need to Find time. And there are a lot of distractions in life. You, we experience the presence of God through the scriptures. When we open the scriptures and read His word, letting the word saturate us, letting, and letting ourselves to be immersed in God's word, the presence of God begins to dawn upon us, begins to overwhelm us, the presence of God. Because we are reading the living word. The word of God is living, alive. And the scriptures was written by men, but inspired by God. All scripture is God-breathed. So at the moment we read the scriptures, we are taking in the breath of God into our lives. So when we take in the breath of God into our lives, we are sensing God's presence. We are actually taking in the presence of God. Think about it. Don't, because the word is inspired. All scripture is inspired. The Greek word is theoniostos, which means God breathe. God breathe. In 2 Timothy 3.16, God has breathed into his word. His life, his breath, his divine his divinity, His divineness into that word. So you and I need to continue to read and immerse ourselves in the word of God. The continuous entrance of God word, God's word gives light. And the continuous neglect of it brings darkness. The continuous entrance of God's word into our life bring light. And if we continue to neglect it, it will bring darkness. And not only reading the word, but we also need to obey God's word. It's so easy to just read the word glibly. Huh? And we, some, some, at times, we need to memorize scriptures. But 
just memorizing scripture, even if you teach a parrot to memorize, the parrot can say it very well. Unlike some of us, we struggle in memorizing scriptures. But when you teach a parrot, they will memorize. But not, they can only memorize, but they cannot obey. You and I have the potential to obey God's word. Uh, Dr. A.W. Dr. Tozer, he said this, A.W. Tozer, the driver on the highway is safe not when he reads the signs, but when he obeys them. See, there are many signs on the road, you and I, you know, whenever we drive, we see all these signs. Traffic light, can you, when it's red, can you go? Some of us, you know, we, at that time only we speed, huh? trying to beat the, <laughs> the red light, you know. Uh, when there's camera, okay, this one, many of us are very careful, you know. That's the reason why we use the Waze. Waze can detect AES camera. So we are very careful when we are speeding at 150, 160. Some of you do that. Huh? But when you reach that camera, you slow down uh, to 90 or 110. So we need to obey. Just imagine if you drive past at the same speed, what will happen? You will get a compound, a summons. The Bible tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. If prayer is communication with God, then we should be living constantly in the presence of God. So today, even as I close, do you want fellowship with God occasionally or constantly? Do you want to fellowship with God occasionally? That means on a Sunday, only on a Sunday or only during emergencies. When you're having problems, do you want to fellowship with God only during the time? Or do you want constant regular fellowship with God. If you are the one who fellowship with God only on a Sunday morning, you come to church, you give your offering, your tithes, your missions giving, praise the Lord. But if that is all that you are doing and you think that is enough, I'm sorry that is not enough for God because once... Can you just imagine talking to your wife, your children once a week on a Saturday morning, you go for breakfast together. All other days, you're working late. You have no time for your family. Can you build communion? Can you build fellowship? We need to be constantly in fellowship with God. And finally, the last point is which we all know because our rich team for this year is reach up, reach in, and reach out. So we need to reach one another, fellowship with other Christians. Uh, scripture tells us in Matthew 18, 20, Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. God, whenever we gather together like today, 600 people. Truly the presence of God is here. Whenever we fellowship in the connect groups, in our cell groups, we have fellowship with one another. 
So there is a place where we do not forsake the... Don't neglect or don't forsake to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The coming of the Lord is drawing nearer and nearer. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13, it's high time to awake out of our sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. If you had believed Christ yesterday, and today you are here, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed yesterday because we are drawing closer to the coming of the Lord. And all the more, we need to fellowship with one another. When we fellowship with one another, we begin to speak into each other's life. We can be transparent, we become accountable, and we begin to grow spiritually even. And when Bible tells us where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. The presence of God comes and visits His people when we fellowship in the right spirit. So today, even as we end here, sin, self-deception, fear can hinder the presence of God. But if we continue to have fellowship with Him, if we continue to spend time with Him, make personal altar our top priority, fellowship with other Christians, the right Christians, uh, the right Christians, then we can grow in the Lord. Amen. Shall we all stand? Shall we all stand? Thank you for watching. Subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out on anything new and stay connected with us on our social media.